Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. Coming up, a special edition of the program reforming mental health services here in Georgia. State lawmakers have made overhauling the state's mental health services network a top priority this session, and one of the most powerful legislators at the state capitol is leading the charge. House Speaker David Rostin joins me. Then we'll convene a roundtable discussion to get the advocate and practitioner perspective. Those conversations are coming up, but first this. Federal education officials promise they are doing what they can to get to the bottom of recent bomb threats made against historically black colleges and universities. That includes Atlanta Spelman College, which received its third bomb threat this year, this week. Now, Michelle Asha Cooper is Deputy Assistant Secretary for Higher Education Programs at the U.S. Department of Education. She is crediting HBCUs for how they're handling the threats of violence. Students' uh, safety and well-being as their utmost priorities, but they are not being intimidated by these threats. They're, they're going to continue to do the work that they set out to do. Law enforcement agencies have found no actual explosives in their sweeps of the institutions. The FBI and Atlanta police continue to investigate. In other news, Georgia's chief public health official says she is worried state lawmakers could do away with all vaccine requirements for children. As WABE Susanna Capaluto reports, Dr. Kathleen Toomey is worried current disagreements about COVID-19 vaccinations have spilled over into conversations about childhood immunization. There is a state Senate bill circulating that would prohibit schools from requiring any vaccinations. And Dr. Toomey told members of the State Board of Health that she needs their help in preventing such bills from becoming law. I have to say that in in the many years I've worked in public health, this is probably the first time I actually am worrying that we may lose our childhood immunization mandates. Toomey says she is old enough to remember polio and other childhood diseases, now extinct because of vaccines. I took care of kids with Haemophilus influenza B, had children seized in my arms, had children crippled uh, from Haemophilus disease in their joints. Toomey says there's a danger that today's parents do not remember such childhood diseases. Meanwhile, the sponsor of the bill to ban vaccine requirements, Republican Jeff Mullis, says he only intended to address COVID vaccines. However, his proposal, SB 345, does not, in its current form, mention COVID at all. Susanna Capaluto, WABE News. And finally, couples preparing to get married in Fulton County will have a special opportunity if they choose to tie the knot on Valentine's Day. Fulton County judges are offering free marriage ceremonies on Monday, February 14th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. And folks can schedule their ceremony on the Fulton County website and they must bring their marriage license and photo ID. Also, each couple is limited to 10 guests who will be required to observe required to observe COVID-19 safety measures. I'll add this. Don't do it unless you're sure. That's all I'm saying. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. 
And Closer Look continues here on 90.1 WABE, Amplifying Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. As he does on so many times, Georgia House Speaker David Ralston welcomes fellow state lawmakers on the first day of the legislative session with this. The hour for convening having arrived, all members will please take their seats and the clerk will ring the bell. And in a rare instance this year, the Republican leader of Georgia's House of Representatives is leading the charge on getting a particular piece of bipartisan legislation passed. Speaker Austin is promising to make overhauling mental health services in the state his top priority, and he introduced the bill last month as the first phase. There is no issue, and I want to be very clear on this, there is no issue this session more important to me than this issue. I am tired of telling desperate and hurting families that we have no treatment options available in Georgia. How did Georgia reach this point, and how will a single measure with so many provisions and promises lead the way to change? It's a main focus of the next conversation, as well as some other key issues I'll discuss with Georgia Speaker David Roston. Mr. Speaker, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rose. It's good to be with you. In the audio clip we just played where you reference desperate and hurting families having to tell them there are no treatment options here in Georgia, can you share with our listeners one of those instances and, and how that had an impact on you? Oh, there's been so many, Rose, I couldn't pick one out. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they happen uh, with, with a lot of frequency, both people calling me uh, in my professional uh, law practice or um, as their legislator, uh, describing a crisis in the family that needs obviously intervention. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you, you, it's just heartbreaking to have to tell them that, you know, we just don't have, uh, any openings and there's no options, uh, for you. And, um, you know, I, I, I frankly became frustrated with that, uh, I know the families are frustrated and because they are experiencing this day in and day out with a family member. And um, so um, that that was a huge part of the motivation behind the bill. You know, as you know, um, mental health issues, which are insulated around emotional, psychological and social well-being, probably touches all of us in some form or another. Um and not asking you to, if you don't want to share, but have you had to deal with this within your own family or even a close friend? I've had a lot of close friends mm-hmm. um, and, um, and, and just people I know. I mean, I met, I met back in November with a, with a lady up in the mountains who uh, came in to visit with me. Um, her son, 15 years old, had taken his life uh, last March. Um, and then in October, her husband, not able to cope with the loss of the child, took his life. So she lost two members of her close family members within a span of a year. Um, and, um, you know, you know, situations like that are just, um, they're, they're heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not lost on you that Georgia was ranked last in terms of access to care from a report published by Mental Health America. How have things reached this point? And, and, you know, one, I think it could be fair. One says, you know, how do we how does the state reach this point? And particularly under leadership, Republican leadership here in in Georgia. Is that a fair assessment? Well, this this is not a uh, problem that was created by uh, one party. Mm -hmm. Uh, it wasn't created by the Democratic Party when they were in the majority. It hasn't been created by the Republicans since we've been in the majority. Uh, it took us a while to get to the bottom. Um, and, you know, I'm, I, I like to tell people, uh, you know, we like to brag that, that we're the number one state in the nation in which to do business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but there's a real disconnect when the number one state in the nation in which to do business as the lowest rated mental health system in the country. Um, I think, uh, I, I, I think it's, there are a lot of factors that, that, uh, caused us to get here. One is sheer volume of uh, the population growth, the, the added, um, uh, pressure of, of mental health, 
uh, needs uh, here. Um, and frankly, uh, you know, we probably have not had the sort of the, the vigorous sort of leadership on the issue that we needed. Um, and, you know, we, we, we've kind of been stuck in this rut where we think if we throw more money at doing things the same way that we've done them, you're still going to get the same result. And, uh, and so what this bill does is to kind of hopefully break out of that, um, by, uh, by putting into Georgia law, the parity provisions, which will make mental health care much more accessible through private insurance, through Medicaid, through peach care, uh, through, uh, all forms of insurance, um, to expand our treatment options, to increase our bed space, mm -hmm. um, to train law enforcement officers to better handle these kind of situations. You know, our law enforcement uh, personnel all over the state have been literally inundated mm -hmm. with, with calls that are not violations of the law but their mental health in nature. Uh, and, you know, they, they do the best they can. They take the individual into the jail, but if they have not violated the law, you know, they have to, 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 to release them, but where are they going to go? Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, you know, there's some, some really, uh, um, some real positive things in this bill that I think will make a big difference. Let's talk about parity here for a moment, because as you know, in 2008, Congress passed a law requiring that parity. It was that law not being enforced enough or here in Georgia. So something Correct. hasn't been working. Right. It has. It was it was not. And I, I uh, you know, I'm not sure all the reasons for that. Uh, I'm not really interested in uh, going back through the past on that. Uh, but, you know, this bill will ensure that it will uh, because it puts it into Georgia law. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so which I think is vital that we do that. Well, let me get your thoughts on this, because a big part of the, the agency that's responsible for this is the, the Georgia Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disabilities. And we just had a conversation uh, with the commissioner, Judy Fitzgerald. This measure, we'll get more to that will strengthen the resources and needs for that agency. And, and are you saying, are you willing to admit that in the past, perhaps they didn't have what they needed or was it a leadership issue? If it goes, if we're talking about 2008 up to now, that's 12 years, more than 12 well, years. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't want to get into um, um, all the, the, the reasons that we're here. Mm -hmm. I think the important thing is that we're moving forward. Um, you know, uh, uh, some people may believe that it's leadership. Some people may believe that it's, you know, the, the, the same ways of doing things without looking at different ways of doing things that perhaps would be more effective. Uh, um, I want to, I want to, I, I want to achieve the goals of this bill, mm -hmm. which are to expand treatment options, to make mental health care more accessible, uh, recognizing that, as you pointed out at the beginning of the, our discussion, um, it is an issue that touches virtually every family uh, in the state. What about services for folks who are coping with substance use disorder and the provisions? What provisions deal with that and how would that work? I mean, I know there's a lot to it and we encourage folks to read it. And to be honest, you and I both know sometimes when you read a bill, <laughs> It's like looking at a different language for some folks. But if you could, I want to take a deeper dive into that and talk about folks coping with substance use disorder and what provisions are in this this measure. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because there's a couple of features in the bill that will um, address that. One, we're going to beef up our mental health courts and uh, all of our accountability courts, our drug courts. Uh, we're going to give uh, 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 pay increases to the uh, people who are on the front lines doing some work, you know, because the accountability courts are, are overlooked sometimes in their importance in the system. Mm -hmm. These are 
people who work one-on-one -on -one with these people who are experiencing these problems, whether substance abuse, whether their mental health, and they have almost daily contact with these people. Uh, and, and frankly, they haven't been recognized sufficiently for the good work that they do. And this will do that as well as adding additional accountability courts across the state. You know, yesterday I had a conversation with GBI Director Vic Reynolds, and he talked about the, the, the approach in terms of, you know, how we have how we treat instead of arresting folks who are you know, substance use users, instead of arresting them, making sure we have the resources. And he also talked about how, in a sense, that for first responders, for, you know, law enforcement, that perhaps maybe if there was another entity or another body that would address even on a call, you know, often, and you know this, often folks will call 911. I know several uh, cities here in Georgia have like a 311 where you call that number. If someone is experiencing a mental health episode, you would call that number. You, you, you support something that would be statewide where folks would have access to that? And I know that is different for every every city. You know, what, what works in Atlanta may not work for a small town in South Georgia just because of resources. But is there something, you know, that statewide that could work in terms of even just putting first responders or getting the right personnel to handle these calls? Well, I have the greatest amount of respect for uh, Director Reynolds, and um, I'm happy to have that conversation. We have some provisions uh, in the bill on, on crisis intervention training, um, and uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not prepared to agree today that the solution is a statewide one-size-fits-all mm -hmm. uh, because I think we have different areas in the state that have different needs. Uh, you know, if you go to rural North Georgia, for example, we've had the great the op opioid um, uh, epidemic. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they have issues different than perhaps... Uh, areas along the coast or in southwest Georgia. Um, so um, I, I, we, we will have that conversation as we go through the process uh, with uh, great leaders in law enforcement like Director Reynolds. If you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with Georgia House Speaker David Rostin, and we're talking about provisions in the bill that would strengthen, reform, overhaul Georgia's mental health services. Let's talk about Medicaid, Mr. Speaker, because according to the U.S. government, and you know this, it's the single largest payer of mental health services in the nation and is playing an even larger role in covering treatment for substance use disorder. Would Georgia, wouldn't Georgia, by fully expanding Medicaid, wouldn't some of these same problems that you want to solve in this legislation, wouldn't it be solved by fully expanding Medicaid? Well, you know, Medicaid expansion is a separate issue. Um, and... Um, uh, you know, it's not a, a solution to every problem that we have in, in health care, whether it's physical health or mental health. Uh, uh, and, you know, it carries with it, obviously, a downside in terms of uh, if the uh, uh, federal government, for whatever reason, uh, broke their part of the deal, it would be catastrophic to our state budget. Um if we were to do that. And so um, catastrophic, really, it would be that detrimental, Mr. Speaker, because that's Medicaid is so much of the state budget, obviously. It's uh, number, I think, number two now in the budget behind education. What do you what are your thoughts to people who say, well, look. We've heard the governor talk about having all this extra funding we've heard folks try to come up with solutions on both side of the aisle but no one has come together to to come up with a comprehensive you think there's no solution that can be had with with expanding medicaid it's particularly in this you think there's just no solution because fully you're saying fully expanding medicaid would not help at all it would be that detrimental to georgia's budget i'm saying that this issue of mental health reform mm -hmm. is is so important to me that I don't want it to become bound up in a 
political discussion that's been going on now for a number of years. Uh, we, uh, uh, you know, I think we can solve these problems uh, without expansion, frankly. Um, uh, and, uh, but, you know, at but, some point. But other may- states have done it. How do you explain that? Other states that initially were against it, they have expanded Medicaid and they haven't come out and said that it's been that detrimental. How do you respond to that? Well, a number of states have not done it. So, uh, I suspect that they agree with us on that. So, yeah, but y'all in a minority, Mrs. Smith. You can argue now. both ways. <laughs> and, and you know, the, the those states took a risk. And, uh, you know, we have chosen not to take a risk in Georgia. This is a bipartisan measure. I know that's yes. very happy for, for you. And, and, and as you were making this announcement and you were flanked by folks from both sides of the aisle, Let's let our listeners know where we are now with this measure. Um, it's House Bill 1013. It's been assigned to a committee, but hasn't had a hearing yet. What's happening with this now, and when can we expect more movement on it? I think we'll be having a hearing in the next few days. Um, keep in mind that you know we're still early in the session, mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, there are other measures that the committee, uh, Health and Human Services Committee, has that they're trying to uh, deal with and, and kind of move out of the waste because this is going to take a number of hearings, mm-hmm. a number of meetings, uh, so that before we uh, perfect it, um, every bill goes through this process, uh, and this one will too. Um, but um, you did point out that one of the things I'm most pleased about, and that is the bipartisan nature mm-hmm. of the bill. You know, I, when I announced uh, House Bill 1013, uh, I, I said I'm basically using two two co-pilots on this bill to carry the bill through the process. Uh, Representative Todd Jones from Cumming, who feels very, very passionate about this uh, issue, and then Representative Mary Margaret Oliver from Decatur, mm-hmm. who, who has been a friend of mine for many, many years, and for whom I have a great deal of respect and who is very knowledgeable uh, about uh, this entire subject will be um, shepherding the bill through the process. And, uh, and we have uh, the majority leader uh, and the minority leader have both signed on to the bill. Uh, other uh, members of the Democratic caucus have signed on um, because it's, uh, it, it's that important. Mm-hmm. And as we said, it touches everyone. And Mr. Speaker, before we let you go, because we know you're on a tight schedule and we appreciate you taking the time. Of course, there's so many other measures. Just want to get your, your take on real quick. Now, look, first, as it relates to the Buckhead City Bill. Yes, no, you support it. Can you give a definitive opinion here on this? I am, I am still, uh, ha- I still have that under consideration. Yeah, look. Buckhead City is a complex issue. Um, How's it complex? Well, it's a co- it's complex because of the repercussions of what happens. Uh, you know, what happens to the school kids? What happens to the tax base? Uh, you know, all kinds of things mm-hmm. here to talk about. But more importantly than those things, I want to approach this from the standpoint that whatever we do will be a precedent mm-hmm. that will be followed and looked to, you know, a year from now, five years from now, 20 years from now. And um, uh, so I think that's why we, 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 we need to get it right. Uh, um, you know, we got here, we got to the, the, this point in this discussion frankly, because we didn't have leadership on the crime issue uh, in Buckhead. Uh, the people in Buckhead, uh, I've talked to many of them, are, um, uh, you know, they're fearful. Well, so a lot of people are fearful of crime, though, Mr. Speaker. I mean, ask folks in other parts of the city, you know. You, oh, I agree. Yeah. I agree. But there's only one part of the city that's trying to de-annex and incorporate a new city, and that's Buckhead City. That is true. That's, that's what we have before us. But no, people all over the city 
people in other cities and communities in Georgia are fearful. So why not why not issue or you know be a proponent of working together as opposed to trying to carve yourself out of uh, an existing city? Given everything well, you just said about how important the tax base and for the Atlanta public schools. And, and that could be, um, uh, th- that could ultimately be the solution. Look, I have, I've had a great relationship thus far and expect to continue having a good positive relationship with Mayor Dickens. Mm-hmm. He met on a number of occasions. We're meeting again in a few days. We have open dialogue, but, uh, on um, not just this issue, but but other issues that uh, both the state and the city of Atlanta have a common interest in. Um, that's the kind of thing that the, 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 a model of working together that could have avoided, I think, the Buckhead City movement had it been adopted a number of years ago. Meaning if... I want to be clear. Meaning if we had had, meaning if we had had communication with City Hall prior to Mayor Dickens getting elected and having the ability to sit down and have a, 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 a frank uh, and open exchange of views like he and I do, uh, I think that's good for uh, the community. Well, it, and look, it, it was, it happened with former Mayor Kasim Reed and, and Governor Deal, they had a great relationship. When Mayor Keisha Lance, when Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms did not have a great relationship with Governor Kemp. And let's be clear too, when the man is talking about suing over mass mandates, when we have three counties that have a high population of the infection and people of color and low income households that were being affected by this, I mean, you can understand perhaps, you know, how do you sit down with someone like that? And also the back and forth in social media, so you know this, that it, it, it's, it's, both, it's both sides in a sense. You know, if someone's tweeting at me how horrible of a person I am, am I really going to want to sit down with them? Is it fair to blame this on the Bottoms administration for where we are now with the Buckhead City movement? Because that's what it sounds like you're doing. Well, but Mayor Bottoms and I started off having a good relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, uh, for some reason, you know, I didn't threaten to sue her, by the way. No, you didn't. So I'm, 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 I'm not in that little tussle. Okay. Uh, my door is open and I, I, I think she knew it was open. We could have had some discussions. We could have talked about this issue because we did talk about other issues where I behind the scenes advocated for positions that I knew she needed to have. Mm-hmm. Then the governor should have listened to you. <laughs> well, maybe you should be governor. I don't know. You ever think about running? Uh, I'm very happy where I am. David Rostin is Speaker of the Georgia House of Representatives, Republican, proud Republican from Blue Ridge. I got to say this. Go dogs! Congratulations, Mr. Speaker. Go dogs! Listen, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. You know, thank last you, time you, the last time you were on this program was 2015. You spoke to Dennis. That's right. <laughs> it took you so long, man. <laughs> yeah, because you didn't call me. Oh, okay. Hey, I, I appreciate it, Mr. Speaker. Thank you keep, so much. Keep, keep my number. I'll I, come back. Okay? I got you. Take care now. You take care. Thank you. All right. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Amplifying Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott, and it's a special edition of Closer Look. Now, we just heard Georgia House Speaker David Roston and talking about overhauling the state of mental health and substance disorder services here in Georgia. But now let's turn to advocates and practitioners to get their take on what needs to change and why. Join me for that discussion. I have Daryl Russ. He's a licensed professional counselor practicing right here in Atlanta. He's previously provided mental health service at the Atlanta Mission and the Grady Health and throughout the Grady Health System. So, Daryl, thanks for being here. I'm also joined by Kim Jones. She's executive director of the Georgia chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. The nonprofit advocates for better access to mental health services. And finally, we have Roland, I believe it's Bem. He's on the board of directors for the Georgia chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. 
Thank you all for taking the time. Roland, good to have you. I really appreciate it. Lots to get to. Thank you for taking the time. My pleasure. I want to begin by with a question that I want you all to answer, and I'll start with you, Roland. When we talk about, I guess, effective mental health services, I know it's a holistic, probably, approach, but what should that look like through your lens? You're right. It's a holistic approach, and uh, it should start as early as possible. Um, you know, what we have done uh, to date is sort of wait until problems manifest themselves and then begin addressing those. Uh, the issue there is that uh, it may take a while for people to manifest problems with mental health. Uh, there's a, a study that showed sort of the average time between symptom onset and symptom diagnosis is 11 years. And that's 11 years where we could be providing services to the affected individual uh, as opposed to waiting for them to sort of build up uh, to crisis level. So it starts early, starts young. Uh, we want to sort of reach out and we would like to be able to, uh, I think, uh, understand what's happening with our children, uh, both at uh, very young levels and then throughout the course of, uh, of their education. We have a lot of information on Georgia's middle schoolers and high schoolers in terms of their mental health. Uh, there's an annual survey that's done that sort of provides that data and that data is concerning. Uh, but then, you know, we need to have not only identification because that that's helpful, but it doesn't get to the point of what do we do? Where is the care to come from? Uh, and so what we need to have is a robust network uh, of mental health providers. Uh, and those are think, people who are especially trained, uh, like uh, Mr. Russ here. Uh, but they also include uh, GPs who can intervene, who can do screening for depression and the like, uh, and, you know, in their offices. Uh, so that we recognize that there's not a sharp demarcation uh, mm -hmm. between mental health and physical health. Good. Daryl, what about you? What does that look like when we talk about an effective and, and comprehensive mental health, I guess, network or, or pathway, and particularly for a state? Yeah, definitely. Um, first and foremost, we have to acknowledge simply that the brain is attached to the body, right? I mean, it's a mindset, first of all, that actually mental health is physical health. Because if not, if we separate the two, then all the services that flow from that, it will be detached, right? So just the mindset shift is actually a paradigm shift. And then from there, you will have services that flow accordingly. So, you know, Roland laid out some, you know, some great prevention related um, thoughts, um, early uh, intervention, but the reality is, we'll, I'm sure we'll get more into it, is that the actual workforce has to be expansive enough to address the level of need that's in the state. Mm -hmm. So there are those who are clinically trained, but also those who have lived experience that could be a, a, a tremendous asset as well. All right. Kim, what about you in defining that? Oh, Rose, thank you so very much. I first just want to thank you for having this topic and shining a light on this issue right now. I think what needs, in addition to what my colleague says, a comprehensive pathway for the state would be all-inclusive. We need to make sure that Atlanta has access just at the same rate that rural Georgia, rural Georgia has access at the same rate that Atlanta does, and that we have a workforce that people can get care in a way that is reflective of them, um, whether that be race, um, ethnicity, and such in their own areas. So I think access for us, since we just came from being ranked 51st in the fall and we moved up to 48th is the first thing to making sure we have a um, effective comprehensive. If we don't have access, we don't have anything. So that would be my thoughts on that. And in my conversation with Speaker Rawston just a moment ago, and he talked about him, and maybe he has a valid point that we can't focus on the past in terms of why Georgia was always last in terms of access to treatment, access to care. Overall, I think Georgia ranked around 38 or 39. But do you agree it is important to examine how Georgia was for so many years ranked so low in order to not repeat those same, you know, whatever was happening in the state so that you don't dwell down there in the bottom. Kim? Absolutely, Rose. I think it's really important that we look at that. And I want to do a shout out to 
um, the governor right now because two years ago in 2019, he created the Behavioral Health Reform Innovation um, Commission. And that was the point of it, was to look at the system here, the comprehensive system here in Georgia, um, and come up with recommendations. And that's what you see in the Georgia Parity Act bill that we're talking about, is they took a look at what has happened in the past and what do we need to, what do we need to do differently. Well, let me ask you this then, and I'll go around the circle here. What is the number one priority through your lens in making sure when we start this phase, once this bill, if it get passed, and hopefully everyone wants it to get passed, then what is that first phase? Is it simply, because as the speaker said, you can't just, just throw money at it. You know, Absolutely. So what's I the first phase look like? For me, the first phase is what you see in this bill. That was the work of two years, um, several experts around the state, including um, Commissioner uh, Chairman Tanner was inclusive and transparent in his work. He brought the work to the advocates as well. So we have over 15 advocates who gave input. But the number one thing that we all agreed on that is most important is parity. Um, and parity is making sure that mental health is is paid for by the insurance companies and our state CMOs at the same rate as medical health. Um, because when you peel back the onion and you look at, well, why are people not getting into this workforce? Why, why, do, why do a large portion of our beds that are here in Georgia for mental health going to out-of-state entities mm -hmm. to have people from out of state be cared for, it boils down to parity and how insurances are paying for the care that Georgia is providing right now. And it's not equal. Daryl, you agree with that? Yeah. Parity's first? Absolutely. Um, the reality is that you have to have, I mean, I talked about that mindset first, right? Medical care, mental health care, they're the same. But even when you from where I sit, I'm a private practice, I'm in private practice, I'm a clinician, and but the availability, so the insurance companies don't necessarily provide the level of care necessary for the presenting issue, right? If I came in for cholesterol, I'm going to get multiple, you know, lab work, mm -hmm. I'm going to get, there won't be a duration, right? Wherein someone comes in with mental health challenges, or where you can only get four sessions, but mm -hmm. evidence, that's not an evidence-based approach. So yeah, so the, the, the parity has the mindset, the paradigm has the shift, and then the increase in workforce would be my second item. Roland, your top two then in addressing this? Yeah, my top two are parity, uh, and uh, you know, I'll take a slight deviation from the speaker's statements, which is uh, while you can't just throw money at it, you can't solve anything without throwing money at it. Uh, and so uh, what parity does is ensure that money is made available. Uh, if you think about it simply, uh, you're a person who's insured. Uh, you've got a contract with the insurance company that says, I'm going to give you this amount of money each month. And in return, you're going to give me care. Well, if the insurance companies don't have networks, that is, in Georgia, uh, insurers tend to provide reimbursement rates to mental health professionals that are about 38% lower than regular mental health professionals. And since we have a shortage in Georgia, who in their right mind, when they can get 100 cents on the dollar, is going to take 62 cents? Mm -hmm. So we need to make sure that they fulfill their obligations. And the other part of that, and it's part and parcel of the same, is are we being effective stewards of the money for our Medicaid and peach care programs? Uh, and in that, uh, what you see in the, in the bill is a provision that sort of looks wonky uh, and small, and it's called uh, medical loss ratio. But what that basically says is just for every dollar that we give uh, our CMOs, uh, they have to spend at least 85 cents on healthcare directly to the consumer. That's not been taking place, unlike other states around the SEC, and Georgia ranks last among SEC states there. Georgia's MLR is too low. And when you think that for every 1% increase, it's over $100 million, that means a lot more additional care that can be made available to some of our most medically vulnerable citizens without increasing taxes. Roland, and I want to stay with you for a moment, and I'm going to ask all of you to chime in on this because I asked Speaker Ralston about fully expanding Medicaid in the state and how that would be beneficial, particularly when we talk about mental health services. And he said it would be a huge burden 
on Georgia financially? I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you all to just chime in on that. And Roland, you kind of already hit on it, but I'll let you add before I go to Daryl and Kim. Well, you know, uh, reasonable minds can differ and do differ in terms of the expansion of Medicaid. Uh, when you talk about costs, uh, we do want to make sure uh, that we are able to make those costs, to pay those costs. Uh, and uh, I think that some of the things that are being done in this bill in terms of ensuring parity, in terms of providing for that care, work to that. Uh, they are monies that are going to go to behavioral health care. Uh, if we had a, you know, a broader commitment uh, to expanding Medicaid, uh, we would need to ensure that that's funded. Um, but clearly, you know, as evidenced by, uh, you know, sort of the two views, uh, two primary views on Medicaid expansion, uh, that's something that uh, that seems to be at loggerheads. Daryl? Hmm. Yeah. So I'm I'm just going to show my hand. My, my bias is always to provide the best care, give the most access to care, because I really believe a burden somewhere else, if you move it from one it's gonna to move to somewhere else. So, and typically uh, people of color are the ones that are disproportionately impacted by not expanding Medicaid. So what happens your safety net hospitals, which I've worked at Grady, you know, it, it, the burdens just shifted, right? It, mm -hmm. it moves from place to place as opposed to addressing at the root and providing that care, which I think will fundamentally reduce the cost that shows up in other places because it's not dealt with, um, I think at its most effective place. Kim? Yeah, I, I piggybacking on what uh, Daryl just said, one of the provisions in the bill is to direct DCH to compare uh, the rates, that the reimbursement rates for mental health services with other states. And that's really important to do if we, I try to explain to people who sometimes say we just need more beds because nobody can get into them. And that's not going to fix the problem. As Daryl alluded to, we've got to fix the core problem, which is our reimbursement rate for Medicaid right now. If a provider can get $4,000 from the state of Florida and Georgia's only paying 2000, mm -hmm. guess what they're doing? They're yeah. filling the Georgia beds with people from out of state. So we first attack that in this bill and make sure that we look at our reimbursement rates, make sure there's parity in those reimbursements rates and that they're competitive so that we don't have to build more beds and more infrastructure um, again because if we expand something that's already not working that's that's not going to be a good answer you all have had either you spoke with state lawmakers and I'm sure you all have read the measure uh, Kim I'll stay with you um, did you have to do any additional convincing what did you tell state lawmakers about this in terms of your input and, and what you wanted or what you hoped the bill would include you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, this governor's commission was started in 2019 is when the bill was signed for it. So this has been a two years worth of work. Um, over the summer, I met with 55 legislators plus, um, and what we said to them was, this is this is not any one person's problem. This is not any um, uh, Democrat, Republican problem. This is a people's problem. This mm -hmm. is a Georgia problem that everybody is being impacted on. We can't watch a news for a week without hearing somebody who is impacted severely sometimes by their mental health condition. Um, and I asked all of them for bipartisan support. I said, we need, this is something the state needs. COVID research shows that their mental health pandemic will be the next epidemic um, after uh, a situation like COVID and we're seeing it come to light right now. So we have seen even now, I'm at the Capitol right now, every time we walk into an office, everybody understands. They understand the need for this and they are, they are on board to make this the year for mental health, which was our goal um, from the beginning to have 2021, uh, 2022 be the year for mental health. Daryl, in terms of the measure, um, what are you saying that obviously you like, but then what are you not saying, I guess, in a sense that you would like to? Well, I'm a realist. I love what I see, but I always want more. But I'm not going to do. What's the old saying? I'm not going to throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm good with where we are, but I'm not satisfied. So what I would say is, I really am watching, especially the the, the co-responder model aspect of it, where I want to make sure we divert as many people from the legal system 
as possible because mm-hmm. I don't want people moving from, you know, a mental health crisis to incarceration. So that's an area where I want to, it's, I know it's in here, but it's something I'll watch closely because this is a passion area for me. Keep out, keep these individuals out of the legal system as much as possible. Roland. Yeah. I, I'm sort of follow on some of Kim's remarks and, and Daryl's, which is um, I was uh had the great good fortune of being asked to participate in the drafting uh, of the legislation mm-hmm. itself. Uh, the parity issues and others are things that um, AFSP Georgia and I have been advocating on for about five years. Uh, and uh, this opportunity presented itself and presented itself in a way that was very welcoming and very open to input and comment. Uh, and so what we see here uh, in Georgia's legislation is in several parts sort of state of the art. Uh, on parity legislation. Uh, to Daryl's point uh, on the uh, co-responder model, uh, we need to move away from uh, substituting our jails and prisons uh, for mental health care facilities. Uh, this does that. Uh, and there's a recognition because that cuts across, you know, whatever partisan politics you may have, is that it's <laughs> just from a dollars and cents, it's much less expensive uh, to work with a person in terms of a health-related issue, a mental health, than it is to put that person in jail or prison and struggle to provide services in there. So uh, it is, I think, I view this as a significant down payment uh, on what needs to happen over the course of the coming years and the small provision that's in there that extends the life of the Behavioral Health Innovation and Reform Commission for another couple of years, I think is good news for all Georgians. And something else that the speaker and I talked about, which I know will not be lost on you all, and that's, like, look, here in the Atlanta area, where Daryl, obviously, you're familiar with, you know, the needs may be different in terms of, or the, the severity of that need may be different, let's say, in South Georgia or in North Georgia. And how do you all feel about this bill making sure, now we're talking about equity also in terms of region here, that this bill will address whatever those severe needs are. And and let's be clear, mental health all the needs are probably severe, but if you if you look at what's severe for city of Atlanta, may not be as severe in in, a, in the southern part of the state. You all happy with this bill in terms of equity, based on geographical regions here? Darren? I'm happy. I'm happy, and of course I can always be happier. But I'll I'll start with happy. I do. I mean, I'm thinking about the rural, just metro, you know, consideration where I mean. Just simply telehealth, because a lot of times people in the rural areas have to drive, you know, 45 minutes, might not find a psychiatrist or psychologist within two hours. Mm-hmm. Right. So just the ability to access telehealth. But then now we're talking about broadband. Do I even have the ability to connect? So, I mean, it sounds basic. Some people have made choices about relocating because they just don't have access to the services. Um, so then, then we talked earlier about, you know, workforce shortages, but I, at the end of the day, anything we can do to increase that access from the, in the rural communities, it's a win. Roland. And I'd like to follow on, uh, Daryl's comments there, uh, and, and sort of direct people to, uh, the fact that there are numerous bills, uh, that address various aspects of health uh, in in the state, and some of them on their face don't look like it, uh, some of the actions. So for example, uh, there was, I think, a recent announcement of the sort of pre-award of over $400 million in broadband infrastructure grants to some of our most underserved communities Mm -hmm. for the reason that Daryl has pointed to. That means greater access uh, to mental and behavioral health care for those areas. I would also point to uh, the, the issue with, once again, medical loss ratios uh, and requiring that more of our money be spent on care. Uh, as you know, uh, the Medicaid and peach care systems uh, are sort of there for Georgia's most medically vulnerable citizens. So three out of every eight children, five out of every seven nursing home residents, one out of every three persons with disabilities. And while the additional money won't go solely to behavioral health, conditions. Nonetheless, as Daryl had indicated, right, our, our brains are connected to our bodies uh, and health care for our bodies, including our brains, uh, is extraordinarily important, especially when you see sort of, co- uh, sort of morbidity rates among people with serious mental illness who live lifetimes that are about 20 years shorter on average uh, than the rest of the population. Kim, rule. 
urban areas? Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Rose. One of the things that I think is most important that's in this bill is the workforce development section, which includes um, loan cancellation, uh, especially for those um, who are in this field. Hopefully they will go to more rural areas, but also we are requiring licensing boards to collect the minimum data from healthcare providers. And that's incredibly important because that data includes such things as race, um, ethnicity, where they serve, how they serve. And in the past, that data is there, but it's not required for them to fill it out. So that will help give us a better picture of where out, where throughout Georgia we are missing key um, workforce elements and or key things that would help us create more equity throughout rural Georgia. So we're really excited about that part of the um, bill and are excited to get that data so that we can address those issues better. Man, we didn't even get a chance to talk about addressing stigma and how important that is, but we're going to have to bring you all back. Kim Jones is executive director of the Georgia chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Roland Bame is with the Georgia chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And Daryl Russ is a licensed professional counselor practicing here in Atlanta. And just real quickly, we'll have all the links on our website to your organizations. We'll also have hotline numbers and crisis numbers for folks that they can um, use as well. Thank you all for taking the time. There's never enough time, is there? But thank you all for taking the time being part of this. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank Thank you, Rose. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our senior producer is Sam Whitehead. Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel are our producers. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on this program or any other program. So just send an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of this, any of today's program, it was a very good program, a needed program. You can rehear it again at tonight at 7, as well as in our podcast. Subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. And then if you don't do podcasts, just head to wabe.org slash closer look. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.